Welcome to week two, Summer Concert Series, Pandemic. Y'all excited? I got to sing Black Hole Sun in church. That's crazy. I love it, man. One of my favorite songs growing up. Anybody heard that song before? Bam. A lot more than first service. That's like, I ain't never heard that song. I don't even know what you're talking about right now. If you've seen the video to Black Hole Sun, you know it. It paints an abstract picture of the end of the world. The end of the world. The singer is longing for the end of the world to make everything right again. And I think if we're honest right now, everybody here is thinking that this could be the end. All this crazy stuff that's happening, there's no doubt we're living in historic times. We've never, it's historic no matter what side of this you land on, it's historic. Econ economically, it's historic. Everything's historic. Now, it's a global pandemic, but it's also been compounded by these issues and riots and uprisings of social inequality, social injustice, all these other things have made this a crazy year. But what's ironic is this year, if you remember, the, the church had this slogan, 2020 vision. Let's see with 2020 vision. Matter of fact, like my brother Chris had a conference in Alabama, his Awaken Conference, and its theme was Rise Up, Wake Up to a 2020 Vision for Your Life. Our youth conference, if anybody came, was called Awaken. So there was a theme. God was speaking to us in a theme at the first of the year to wake up, but wake up to a new vision. But my question I'll, I'll pose this morning is this vision a new one? You think God is trying to give us something new? I think he's trying to revive something old. You know, I think he's trying to revive something old. I don't think it's a new vision. I think we lost his vision. That's what I think. I think he was trying to, he was doing all these things. He was saying, wake up, 2020 vision, and then all this chaos hit. And we could either handle it one or two ways. We could run and tuck our tails in fear, or we could get fine-tuned in what his vision is for our lives. That's what we can do. See, Kelly and I didn't share any notes when he spoke on Acts last week. We didn't share anything. But it's amazing how God works where it correlates perfectly. For This could actually be part two to Undaunted, but it's not. But it could be. It could be. But it's amazing. God did this in the Bible. Several different authors, one amazing message, Jesus Christ. He loves us. That's it. That's awesome. So we're going to start um, Acts chapter 9. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Or if not, they'll put it on the Sky Bible. Um, so, let me grab a drink of water. Everybody here familiar with Paul? All right. Before he was Paul, as we know him, he was Saul. He was not a very good dude. He actually persecuted the Christians. He held the coats for the first Christian martyr, Stephen. And um, he was not an uneducated person either. He was a Roman citizen. He actually had dual citizenship. He probably knew the first four books of the Bible by the time he was 9 or 10 years old and could recite them. So this is not a dumb guy. All right, Paul, Saul, Saul is on his way to Tarsus or, on, or Damascus. Wait a second, let me get a drink of water. To Damascus, and God meets him on the road. See, a lot of us want this experience. I did when I was uh, struggling. I wanted to God just to set me free because I wanted it my own way. I wanted to be, but he wanted me to work for it. But Saul has this Damascus road experience where God knocks him down, blinds him with light. And we're going to pick up in verse 7. All right? God has got his attention. And the man that's with him, he said, And the men who journeyed with him 
stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were open, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in, putting his hand on him, so that he may receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul, Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. See, what I think right now is, and what I think God's telling us through this story of uh, Saul's conversion is sometimes you have to lose your vision. No, let's get this right. You have to lose your vision to gain God's vision. You have to lose what you deem important. Like we talked about Saul. He was an educated person, right? He was a, had dual citizenship. He had trained for this all his life. He thought he was doing the wrong th or the right thing, but God had different plans. See, Paul didn't get his vision until God gave him his sight. But when did God give him his sight? When he got connected with other believers. We have to start getting connected with the body of Christ. Get connected with the church. That's when we're going to see the full impact of what Jesus wants for our lives. We can't do this individually, guys. We can't take our Jesus home with us and not proclaim his name later. We just can't do it. Gone are those times. If we want to sit, and he's going to move. Like I said in the first service, God is going to use Watts Bar as a conduit to change this world. Amen. I believe it. I believe it. I wholeheartedly believe it. God connected him. See, God's vision for the church, he did not sugarcoat it at all in the Bible. But we have had a way of sugarcoating the Bible for people, of uh, you know, taking it down just enough to get him in the door, and there's not that balance of, hey, we want you in here, but we want to teach you the word too. We don't want to teach you what's going to set you free. Jesus had an uncanny way of telling people just what they needed to hear, the truth, and putting love with it. Like he didn't pull any punches at all. See, Kelly was on to something last week when he said the first century church would not recognize this church, not just this church. But here's what I think's worse is I don't think Jesus would recognize this church. It wasn't his plan. It's ain't his plan for us. See, I know the events that's transpired here lately. All this stuff has got us confused. We're thinking it's the end. I'll tell you, my wife's the world's worst. She's the world's worst at, at just drowning in fear. Like, okay, I'll tell you this. If a roller coaster crashed in India, the kids would not be able to ride the Wild Eagle at Dollywood. That's true. It's true. She, so 
She would watch the, anybody watch these YouTube prophecies or Facebook prophecies that's going on here lately? There's plenty of it, and I'm not discrediting them or whatever, but I can tell you this, God never meant prophecy for his believers to instill confusion or fear. He didn't. He didn't mean that. That's just not it. See, the first century church was living like he could come back any day. They was living like, but not out of fear. They wasn't like, oh, no. We're, they was living because they longed for him to come back. They wanted to meet Jesus. See, we've sugarcoated it so much that I don't even know if we really, really believe. And when I'm telling you this, I'm not beating you up. But I promise you God's kicking my butt about this all week, so I'm going to kick your butt about it. Is that cool? All right, that's what I'm going to do. See, Paul and the other disciples had a sense of urgency. They had a sense of urgency. They were going to go out because their lives have been radically changed. They were going to radically change other people. That's it. They wanted people to experience, not out of fear. I can tell you firsthand, fear never changed me. Fear never changed me. Now, there's definitely consequences for sin, but I didn't care about consequences. Love is what changed me. Love is what changed me. Amen? See, what we've done in the church, though, is we've made his gospel exclusively an individual relationship when it was supposed to be so much more than that. Exclusively a me, 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 me kind of, go, well, God, what can you do for me when it's supposed to be about what you could do for the body? See, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 12, 20 through 27. As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable and the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. See, God loves us individually, but his plan for us was collectively. His plan for us was as a whole. We've lost that. We ignore certain, if we ignore certain things in the body, I'm not a doctor or anything, but if I have an infection somewhere and that infection doesn't get treated, my immune system is weakened. So it can't fight off other things. That's the same way in the body of Christ. If one person is suffering and we don't treat that infection, then it's going to spread. We have to start getting very real and very aware of the people around us in our body and helping them out or holding them accountable. That's it. It's the Bible, if you don't like. I know this is going to be hard, but it's the Bible. You can't argue with it. So I can tell you, Kelly gave the leadership a book called Killing Kryptonite. It kind of unravels what the hidden things are in the church. They're not hidden. They're, they're really easy truths to see. We just ignored them. But in this book, he pulls no punches when dealing with the, church, the state of the church today. He goes on to say that Paul in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty one. now this is right from the Bible, he says, for you are, when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. I'm saying, y'all ain't taking care of each other. Y'all ain't. Y'all, you're, you're going, looking out for me, 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 what can I get? Not about us. We're stronger as a unit. He goes on to say in 29 and 30, for those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. 
That's hard. In the message, it says it like this. If you give no thought or worse, don't care about the broken body of the master when you eat and drink, you're running the risk of serious consequences. That's why so many of you, even now, are listless and sick, and others have gone to an early grave. If we get this straight now, we won't have to be straightened out later on. Better to be confronted by the master now to fi- uh, than to face a fiery confrontation later. See, what Paul is addressing here is they have forgotten to live as a body. The church at Corinth have forgotten to live as a body, ignoring the needs of others. They wanted whatever Jesus said to fit into their ideology of what they've made. They want their own personal Jesus. You can help me when, you, when I need something, but when um, I'm trying to adhere to your rules, I really don't need you. That's not the vision for his church. He was addressing the reasons why some had died prematurely. Some of them had died prematurely. Or they wasn't experiencing God like they were meant to. They wasn't seeing God's vision for the church. See, they knew his plan was not for them to make it individually, but for everyone to make it. For everyone to make it. If anybody knows anything about the Navy SEALs, and I don't, I just read a lot. But anything about them, when they go out on a mission, they're not thinking one of them's not going to come back. They think they're all coming back. That's the way we got to start treating the body of Christ, like we're all coming back. Yeah. Has, has anybody ever heard of Desmond Doss in here? Desmond Doss, you ever seen the movie Hacksaw Ridge? Does that ring a bell? All right, Desmond Doss is what was characterized at the time during World War II as a conscientious objector. What that means is he wanted to fight, but he didn't want to hold, the, he didn't want to carry a gun. Well, he didn't even want to fight. He wanted to be a medic. He wanted to be on the front lines. He was the only World War II soldier on the front lines that never fired a bullet or held a gun. Only one. Uh, if you don't care, roll that clip right now. Good. Okay, we got you. We got you.
Wow. If you've not seen that movie, I highly recommend it. Uh, directed by Mel Gibson, James Garfield plays Desmond Doss. But on that night in Okinawa in World War II, Desmond Doss saved 75 people's life. 75. It's hard for me to watch that without getting choked up. Because this, what you need to know is even though he was a hero, he was a super humble guy. He, he was uh, filled with humility, and he was an extreme man of faith. And what you need to know is his action right there is what the church needs to do. Please, Lord, let me give one more. Just let me get one more. Lord, let me get one more. I mean, that's how we need to be. I think we've gotten away from that. We get at church, and we get really convicted, and we get an idea, and we agree what they say, and then we don't go act on it. Please, Lord, let me just get one more. And that means in the church, holding people accountable. Then it means going out and getting other people, guy. I mean, if you really think this is the end, man, let's get them. That's what they're saying. See, the members of the early church were referred to as those who have turned the world upside down, Acts 17, 6. They had no lack because it says God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy, needy among them. They saw whole regions converted, whole regions. And they didn't have the Internet, Facebook, or anything like that. They, that's whole regions because of their convictions, and there was plenty of miracles too, I can tell you that. In Acts five sixteen, it says, they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on stretchers and bedrolls hoping they would be touched by Peter's shadow when he walked by. They came from villages surrounding Jerusalem, throngs of them, bringing the sick and bedeviled, and they were all healed. Peter's shadow healed people. Is that not, or is that, that's the Bible, man. Peter's, that's like me walking the halls of Erlanger and everybody just getting up out of beds. That's, that's where we're supposed to be. Because I can tell you this, as great as the first century was, we're supposed to do better. And if this is, it's, we're going to see bigger things. I want that. Do you all want that? I think we all want that. And I don't just want it for Watts Bar. I want it for all these churches around here. I want us to break down the doctrinal walls that separated us for so long and start working together as a body, as we were intended to. That's what I want. Jesus said this. Now, it ain't enough that Paul said it, but Jesus said this. He makes this declaration to God as he's praying about his vision for the church. John 17, 20 through 24. I am praying not only for them, but also for those who will believe in me. Because of them and their witness about me, the goal is for all of them to become one heart and mind, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. So they might be one heart and mind with us. Then the world might believe that you, in fact, sent me. The same glory you gave me, I gave them. So they'll be as unified and together as we are. I and them and you and me. Then they'll be mature in this oneness and give the godless world evidence that you sent me and love them in the same way you've loved me. That's what Jesus wants. He wants us for, for us to be one. In these times right now, it, it has never been more... More, it's never been more of a reason for us to get together and really come together. So how do we get back there? We know that God's vision for us isn't a new one. He wants to revive an old one. So how do we get back there? And you're saying, well, Casey, you're the one preaching. Why don't you tell us? I'm going to, all right? I propose that we got to obtain 3D vision. And uh, me and Tiff were, um, Kelly had told the, the staff that we were going to preach some of this series, and Tiff was, uh, I was kind of stumbling on what I was going to speak on. And then Tiff was praying, and she sent me a text, and she's like, God gave me this, and she gave me these three Ds and how God needed to fine-tune her vision. 
It's like, that's awesome. I'm running with it. So me and her started kind of uh, having brainstorm sessions and come up with a lot of this. So we want to obtain 3D vision. Now, I'm going to give you three quick bullets to obtain 3D vision. The first D is discipline. We must be disciplined. In 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27, Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul knew it was about discipline. See, his vision for us calls us to have discipline. This means not only keeping our body in check, but keeping the body in check. Now, I started this thing. A guy goes to church here called Leo gave me this book, 75 Hard. And this is my 14th day on it, and it calls you to do five things, and it's to develop mental toughness, discipline. The first one is pick a diet, stick to it, no cheat days, cheat meals, cheat drinks. We, we love cheat stuff, but you can't do any of that. Number two is drink a gallon of water a day. And like I told the first service, I could go out there and run and pee right now. I'm drinking so much daggum water. Third is work out twice a day, 45 minutes apiece. One, extra, one of your workouts has to be outside. Fourth is to read uh, 10 pages of a self-development book or entrepreneurship, uh, entrepreneurship book every day. And five is the worst, is taking a progress picture every night. I have to have my daughter sometimes uh, take it, and they're like, <laughs> taking a picture of my fat butt. That's it. But anyway, the point is to get disciplined. I want to de- control my life. There have been so long where I quit drugs. I've been sober over three years, but I, I didn't have discipline enough to not eat everything that was around me. They wouldn't hide in their purse anymore. They was hiding their donuts. It's, <laughs> not, it's the truth. So the definition of discipline is this. Control gained by enforcing obedience or order. Orderly prescribed conduct or pattern of behavior. Self-control. And this is the one I like. Training that corrects, molds, or perfects the mental faculties or moral character. My brother Chris's personal definition, and you know Chris, you know he has probably five personal definitions, but this is his favorite. Discipline is about delaying gratification now so that I can enjoy the benefits of what I want to achieve later. Nick Saban, everybody's favorite college football coach. Huh? No? Okay. Nick Saban said this, though. You'll either know the pain of discipline or you'll know the pain of disappointment. Uh, Mic drop. Mm. That's it. I mean, that's good. You'll either know the pain of discipline or the pain of disappointment. It is vital that we discipline ourselves and the body of Christ to really go after what he wants. The second D is diligence. Hebrews 6, 10 through 12 says this, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end so that you, so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Now, God has all kinds of promises, but if we want his maximum effect, we will start being diligent and working as a body. Here again, we see the writer of Hebrews talk about this. You're going to have to be diligent. The definition of diligent by Merriam-Webster Dictionary is characterized by this. Steady, earnest, and energetic effort 
painstaking. Eugene Peterson would call this a long obedience in the same direction. It's a stick to You just stick to it until it's done, until the end. You just keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. That's diligence. That's what we have to achieve. That's it. Who, who, he wants us to be painstaking in our pursuit of him. Who out here, including me, can say we're painstaking in our pursuit of his vision? I mean, every day, seeking what he wants. I can say I'm not every day. I know I'm not. The third and final D is determination. Corinthians 15, 58 says this. With all this going for us, my dear, dear friends, stand your ground, don't hold back, throw yourselves into the work of the master, confident that nothing you do for him is a waste of time or effort. The dictionary also, uh, it, it defines determination like this. Having a strong feeling that you are going to do something and that you will not allow anyone or anything to stop you. Not weak or uncertain. See, determination is what Paul is talking about here. Making a decision, standing your ground, throwing yourself into this, making the body become one. Not just worrying about ourselves, but worrying about the brothers and sisters around you. That's what I want. Now, when encountering and trying to obtain your 3D vision, this is what you're going to encounter. The 2D world wants nothing more to distract and deceive you. That's it. When you're trying to achieve God's vision, the, the enemy, the devil, would like nothing more than to distract and deceive. And I'll throw in another, Dave. He'll want to distract, deceive, and divide. See, I think you know the scripture, uh, the devil wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Well, I think in this day and age, it ain't enough he wants to kill you because you, if, you, if he can get you to distract, deceive, and divide then you can distract, deceive, and divide others. I mean, come on. That's good. I'm going to do it, Kelly. That's good. Good stuff. He wants to distract and deceive you. Proverbs 4.25 says this. Look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what lies before you. Romans 16, 17, and 18 I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them, for such persons do not deserve our Lord Christ but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the naive. That sounds a whole lot like what's going on right now around us. Everything taking taken our, uh, our, our view of everything, it's taken us away from what we're trying to achieve. God wants something for us, and everything distracts us. See, um, anybody else here a movie fan? I hate that the theaters are closed right now. I hate it. I'm ready to go see a stinking movie so bad. I think my daughter Kaylee actually went and watched the first Friday the 13th movie, and it's horrible, right? She hated it at the drive-in. But I am a movie person, right? And the thing about 3D movies is back when I was a kid, I went and watched my first 3D movie was Freddy's Dead. And it was the worst piece of garbage ever. Like it had Freddy's head coming out for like two minutes and they classified this as a 3D movie. We've came a long way since then. See, the, the, the first good 3D movie I seen was Avatar. And I went with Nathan Daggett and Aaron Daggett and it was stinking, it blew my mind. I was like, whoa, I didn't know 3D movies could be like that. But here's the thing about a 3D movie. If you go into a 3D movie and you don't put the glasses on, what happens? You can't see nothing. You can't, but when you got your 3D glasses on, you see what the creators wanted you to see. You see what the creator wants you to see. 
You seeing what the creator, are you getting that? You're seeing what the creator, see, that's what God wants us to achieve. He wants us to take out all the distractions, all the deceptions, and see what he only wants us to see. That's it. I found this out from Pastor Bob. I thought it was pretty cool. 2D, 2D TV operates with an X and Y as they intersect on their plane, right? But 3D brings the Z into the mix. So when X and Y meet Z, Z is the depth. Z is the depth. It get, that's what God is in our life. He's the depth. He's the things that, thing that makes sense. You know what else is cool? I'm about to blow your mind. The, D, the, D, or the Z in the Greek alphabet is uh, Omega, God. He's what he, I know, right? Boom. Omega, the end, the end. God is him, him alone is who decides when the end comes. Not us, not anybody else. We're not to sit here and guess who's going to, when is the world going to come to an end? I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to live like the world's coming to an end every day because I want to be passionate. I want to be passionate like the first church was. That's what I want. I'm going to leave you with this story. There's a bishop, Ken Omer. He's the pastor of Faithful Central Bible Church, a mostly African-American congregation in Inglewood, California. His church meets at the forum where the Lakers used to play. <clears throat> Omer tells a story about two men who were in, in an art museum, came upon the painting of a chess game. One character in the chess match looked a lot like, just looked like a man. The other character looked a lot like the devil, or what we see the devil as. The man in the painting is down to his last piece. It looks like the match is over. Satan has won the match. The title of the painting is Checkmate. Ken Omer says one of these two men looking at the painting was an international champion, chess champion. And something about the painting intrigued the guy. So he began to obsess over it. He became so engrossed by it that the other friend got mad at him. He's like, dude, what are you doing? He's like, man, there's something about this painting i got to figure out. There's something about it i got to figure out. So he left, and he starts to go over this painting, and he's looking, and he's looking, and he's studying, and he's studying. And after a while, a smile broke his face. He started to play with his hands. His head began to nod, and his friend came back. His friend came back, and the guy, the chess champion said, Buddy, you've got, you've got to contact the curator of the museum and tell him he needs to contact the artist. We either, he either needs to change the name of the painting or, or change the painting or change the title. He's like, what are you talking about? He said, look, I'm an international chess champion. There's something wrong with this painting. He either needs to change the painting or change the title. He's like, man, well, what's wrong with the painting? He said, I've studied the game studied the game I know what it is I know I know every part of the game and he needs to change the painting or change the title because the king has one more move because the king has one more move that's a shouting moment right there you might think this is the end days you might think that this is your last shot you might think that all hell's broke loose but the king has one more move you might think that your finances are in crumbles you might think your relationship's messed up, your kids on drugs. The king has one more stinking mood. I think you should get up and salute Jesus right now because the king always has one more mood. You don't mind to bring the lights down a little bit? I'm going to challenge you this morning. Everybody bow their head for a second. 
If you can be honest out there and say, God, I haven't been living as a body. I haven't been living so God can maximize my effect for his kingdom. I've been living my plan and not his plan. Can you raise your hand? Got a few out there. Amen. Amen. I'm not, not going to make you come down here. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I want us to all pray right now and believe because, guys, this is what this country needs. This nation needs is us to become one. So this is a great first step. Lord Jesus, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you that this message hit whoever's ears and heart that it was supposed to. And we know that you have one more move. You have the final say in what you're going to do, no matter what. But until we come together as a body, we're not going to see the things that you want us to see and the things that you want us to achieve. I thank you for the people that raised their hand this morning, God. I ask you that I ask that you make them aware every moment, every second. When they leave here, it's just not an agreement that we put it into action when we leave here, that we become a body of believers that wants to turn this world upside down. I just ask that in Jesus' name.